0: Welcome back to the Vascular Forum interview. My name is Suzanne Stokmans, and today I'm here with Floor and Bob Geelkerke. And this is part two of the Mesenteric Ischemia podcast. Last time we talked extensively about different forms of mesenteric ischemia, acute mesenteric ischemia and chronic mesenteric ischemia. And today we are going to talk about the Median Arcuate Ligament Syndrome, which is a specific form of one vessel chronic mesenteric ischemia. Bob Geelkerke is a vascular surgeon at the Medispectrum Twente and a professor at the TechMed Center at Twente University. He is the founder of the Dutch Expert Center of Mesenteric Ischemia and one of the in- initiators of the Dutch Mesenteric Ischemia Study Group, a cooperation of nearly 20 Dutch hospitals with special interest in this challenging disease. Moreover, he's the principal investigator of the Celiac Artery Release or SHAM Operation Study or CAROSO, a study that will settle whether the median arcuate ligament syndrome exists. Flora Metz is a surgical resident and a PhD candidate on the subject of mesenteric ischemia, and she is one of the investigators on the CAROSO study. Today, we will specifically talk about the median arcuate ligament syndrome and the CAROSO study. The median arcuate ligament syndrome is also called the celiac axis compression syndrome, or the Dunbar syndrome. The syndrome occurs when the median arcuate ligament of the diaphragm causes extrinsic compression of the celiac trunk. The celiac trunk emerges from the aorta at the level of the aortic hiatus of the diaphragm. The median arcuate ligament is formed by the fusion of the crew on either side of the aortic hiatus. The stenosis of the celiac trunk occurs either in a two-cranial emerge of the celiac artery from the aorta or in a two-caudal insertion of the left crux of the diaphragm on the lumbar vertebral column. Median arcuate Ligament Syndrome was first described by Hariola in 1962, and although many reports have since then been published, the subject remains cause for discussion, since there is no consensus on the existence and treatment of Median arcuate Ligament Syndrome, which means it makes it a very interesting subject for a podcast. Flora and Bob, thank you so much uh, for being back on this podcast. It's good to have you back, and I'm very excited for today.
1: Thank you. Very nice that we can talk extensively about median arcuate ligament syndrome today.
2: Yes, Suzanne, uh, we are delighted to be back, and especially about this uh, subject, which is one of my key success during my career.
0: Does median arcuate ligament syndrome exist? And why is there such a controversy around this topic?
2: Suzanne, of course it exists. It would be credible if I say no now, because I'm a representative of the Dutch... Median Arquid Ligament Center. And we performed this operation now t- during 25 years in my center. So in the last 25 years, we treated hundreds of patients uh, with symptoms fitting to mouse. In, and after an extensive diagnostic process, I want to underline that. Um, in the early years, I used a subcostal incision for celiac artery release. But since the beginning of the century, we introduced the endoscopic retipoteneal approach. Our results are extensively published and in our hands, we reached nearby 90% success. That means that relatively young men and mostly women are nearby free or free of symptoms and go, can go back to normal daily life. That means that the patient is very satisfied. Um, and in my view, this can't be a placebo effect. Saying this, I realize that this oh, is only expert opinion, my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, and respected colleagues inside the Netherlands and outside the Netherlands have the opinion that one vessel, uh, chronic mystic ischemia, with only compression of one of these vessels vessels during a part of the respiration phase could not induce increased mucosal ischemia and accompanying symptoms. So the Mals Debate, as you know, already started by Zilachi in Mm -hmm. 1972, who said there is on scientific ground not any reason that silica release is anything else than a placebo effect, this battle is still not uh, resolved. And this was also the opinion of the experts involved evol- in the European uh, United Cardiology and in the ESVS guidelines. So experts believe that it exists, but there is no any evidence at this moment that it's more than a placebo effect.
0: Yes, and, and that is something that that you are going to research extensively in the corroso study, which we will talk about a little later, because first I want to know a little bit more about the median arcuate ligament syndrome. What is necessary to accurately diagnose this syndrome?
2: First, that you believe in it. That's, that's I think, the starting point. Yeah. And if you believe in, in it, and you have a, a relatively young woman of, of 30, 35 years, but it can also, if Somebody that has really chronic symptoms that they all uh, admitted to my hospital when they're 45 years. But they don't believe in the syndrome if it started when you're 50 years old. Mm-hmm. Because when you grow up, it mostly st- uh, starts, the symptoms started between 15 and 20 years old.
0: And how come? How is, the, is Is that just the growth of the aorta which makes it steeper? or
2: If you look to the uh, habitus of a, f- uh, of a child, they mm-hmm. have a l- relatively large belly and a small thorax. Yeah. If, you're low to a, to a, if you look to an adult, the thorax is relatively larger than, in most cases, <laughs> the belly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means that the diaphragm is coming downwards.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And if the diaphragm is coming downwards, there's uh, also the ligament argument uh can come downwards and can compress the celiac artery. And is this pathology? No. In my feeling, between the 15 and 25% of, 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 of men has during the respiration phase, called eccentric compression of the celiac artery. That's normal. And in most cases, it doesn't give any symptoms. But why in some uh, humans it, it gives disabling symptoms, we don't know. But that does exist. I'm convinced about that. And the symptoms are fake. Mm-hmm. That means postprandial abdominal symptoms, mostly combined with loss of energy, Change of tools in combination, this again, with the eccentric compression of the celiac artery. Mm-hmm. If this is the case, then we considered the diagnosis, median arcuate ligament syndrome. So you need an intensive talk with your patient. What are your symptoms? When it started? How was it with you the last 10 years? And then we discussed these patients in the multidisciplinary meeting, and not only in vascular surgeon, but also in cathedrologists, uh, have seen these patients in the outpatient clinic mm-hmm. and discussed extensively the symptoms with the patient. Yeah. I think that's the core business of a male team.
0: And so this this disease, if we can call it a disease, it starts at a relatively young age because of change in the in the form of the diaphragm. And how come you see it much more often in women than in men?
2: To be honest, we don't know.
0: No. Okay. Well, it's interesting. Um, and. Uh, We just talked about how you can diagnose uh, MALS. Um, And I know that the duplex ultrasound is one of the most important diagnostic tools uh, in this syndrome. And how how is this uh, duplex ultrasound performed? And what are the most important findings for for this condition?
2: Uh, The mystic duplex uh, ultrasound is based on the exact same principles as we apply, for example, duplex of the leg, uh, Mm -hmm. leg vessels. The challenges that the mystic art origin are located deep in the belly. It needs a quite a lot of experience to reach an accuracy around 90%. And what I mean with accuracy, that you also said it's normal, it's not normal. Yeah. If it's not normal uh, in less experienced centers, they mostly said, I can't see it. But you, you see it, you didn't interpret it correctly. Again, one of the challenges is the interpretation of the measurements in the change in peak and antihistolic velocities. And another issue in this area is that the velocities can increase in completely normal uh, vessels, because if you have a normal SMA, where you have a severe stenosis of the celiac artery, due to the collaterals between these two, the peak systolic and diastolic velocity in the SMA can increase due to the Intramysteric steel phenomenon. Oh, yeah. And so you have a normal anatomy, increased flow in SMA, you must think about a CA uh, stenosis occlusion.
0: So this this really seems like a diagnostic challenging procedure. How can we train our ultrasound technicians to really get get uh, get better or or get used to, to to this technique?
2: Know your theory, know the, the background, uh, know the reasons why it's Things can change mm-hmm. and do it. And uh, so no, be aware of your own accuracy of your own lab. And what's important to, to, to underline is that um, the patient should be not have eaten during four or six hours because if you perform a duplex ultrasound in a patient who had just taken food, uh, the, the f- f- systolic and, and the velocities can change enormously and didn't say anything. Uh, anymore. In our lab, they must have, don't have to take food for, and also not have to drink, um, for four hours okay. before an elective duplex ultrasound of the mystic
0: arteries. Okay, so that's that's good to know. And you take these ultrasounds in inspiration and in expiration, and what is exactly what you're looking for in in, in both in an expiration?
2: Uh, that's the median acrid ligaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, compression. Um, like uh, most of the Extended compressions caused by the median ligament uh, during the respiratory phase is in the expiration. Mm -hmm. If in expiration you relax your diaphragm, the diaphragm is a muscle who uh, stretches the ligament to the center of the diaphragm. So if you relax, it goes down backwards, and at that moment it can compress the celiac artery. Uh, In rare cases, also the um, uh, SMA could be compressed, if there is a muscle sling around the chileic artery and around the SMA, it can also, also be compressed during inspiration. But this is fe- it, it. occurs, but it's very rare. That's the reason you have to interpret it in during inspiration and expiration.
0: This sounds really like a diagnostic challenge. <laughs> um, and I also um, know that there are functional tests. At least there is one, tonometry. Um, and can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: I can be brief uh, about that because the balloons necessary for the tonometry are disappearing for the market. So castro-uneral tonometry is the only clinical available validated test that measures blood flow, mucosa, blood flow, with reasonable positive and negative predictive value. Mm-hmm. But again, it, the balloons are withdrawn from the market, so it's, it's also stopped in our clinic. Okay. In short, uh, it measured the difference in carbon dioxide concentration in a stomach and the unum uh, mucosa and compared it with the systemic carbon dioxide concentration. That's, uh, in a nutshell, how tonality works.
0: But we cannot use this anymore. What about other functional tests? Uh,
2: that's, that's the scope of actual research in the expert sensors. Uh, in the Netherlands, the group of Maastricht is focused on biomarkers. Uh, Rotterdam focused on mitochondrial oxygen concentration. We in Twente, together with Utrecht, try to use MR spectroscopy to measure protophane uh, lactate. And we are all eager for a 24-7 quick and easy, accurate function test to substantiate the diagnosis of acute and chronic mystic ischemia. Unfortunately, it's not available yet.
0: So there is no biomarkers that we can use to diagnose this disease?
2: Uh, everybody agreed that in chronic mystic ischemia, Biomarkers are useless. Mm-hmm. Uh, in acute mystic ischemia, uh, Juliet Blau from our group uh, performed a systemic review, and the conclusion is the, 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 the value, uh, the trustability of the underlying research is, is, is very, very low. Of course, I al- also uh, measured uh, uh, white blood cell counts uh, and we measured uh, uh, CRP uh, in these patients. Uh, but uh, lactate, for example, lactate is too late. Yeah. Uh, so to be honest, uh, there is no biomarker available with specific expressionists to exclude or confirm CMI or AMI. The group of Maastricht again is working on that uh, in the TACTIC study. And we hope that from two years from now, we have some new biomarkers for acute mystic ischemia.
0: Okay, well, that's interesting to see what the future brings and to see if it's getting easier to diagnose this disease. So in summary, to diagnose median arcuate ligament syndrome, patient history is of uttermost importance and the duplex ultrasound is important, but we need to perform it in experienced hands in people who really know what they are doing.
2: Yes, and using a CTA or an MRA is also a possibility, but then you have to perform your CT and or your MRA in inspiration and in exploration.
0: Floor, what is the prevalence of median arcuate ligament syndrome?
1: Well, first of all, the prevalence of chronic mesenteric ischemia reported by Luc Terlau is around 9.2 per 100,000 inhabitants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for median arcuate ligament syndrome, we're not yet sure about the uh, incident of median arcuate ligament syndrome, but we made an estimation based on the uh, malls patients in our region uh, and we estimate that around four to five hundred patients per year in the Netherlands have median acute ligament syndrome. And it's, which so, is more women than men. Yeah, definitely more women than men. And
0: it's how many, is it 90% women or?
1: No, around 75% 75. are women.
2: For so, florenzone, that means that the, the incidence of acute mystic ischemia is around four or five percent. Mm-hmm. That's Ruptured aneurysm is r- more rare than acute mystic ischemia. And carcinoma is more rare than chronic mystic ischemia.
0: Yeah, that's but we an, uh, did not
2: recognize these patients. Yeah,
0: that's that's a very interesting uh, addition. Thank you. How can we treat the uh, median arcuate ligament syndrome? Uh, well, there are
1: different possibilities to release the celiac artery. Because in median arcuate ligament syndrome, the most important is to release the celiac artery, only a PTA would not help these patients because the compression would continue on the stand and it uh, finally breaks. Uh, so the best treatment option is a celiac artery release, which can, well, earlier on it happened uh, by laparotomy, but nowadays it often happens by laparoscopy. Uh, and in our center, we perform it uh, retroperitoneal uh,
0: with a laparoscopy Uh, And we call it endoscopic celiac artery release. And Bob, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience of endoscopic celiac artery release? How do you perform your surgery?
2: I like to do that because we we developed an an approach uh, during uh, the last 25 years in our clinic, which is not uh, often used in other clinics. Mm -hmm. That's the uh, endoscopic retropaneal approach. Um, it's extensively described by André Verpetus in the Journal of Vascular Surgery in 2009. Uh, but in summary, all these procedures are performed under uh, general anesthesia and the patient is in the right-sided standard flank flex position on the OR table. And we started with a small uh, open uh, technique described by Gaur um, uh, in 4-centimeter uh, incision. Uh, like you performed an apodectomy Mm -hmm. and then in the left uh, side of of, of the patient Um, and then we introduce a dissection balloon in the retiponeal space. Then uh, we start with inflating the balloon with the uh, scope inside the balloon and we see uh, opening the retiponeal space uh, left and behind the left kidney. Mm -hmm. And um, then we have enough space to to change uh, the balloon for four... And, uh, then go, uh, the the, uh, and then we go over the psoas muscle to the lumbar vetroba and then we feel more or less the lumbar vetuba. We know that in ventral there is the aorta. And when you see also the diaphragm, you know that there is an area of four or five centimeters between the left renal artery and the diaphragm uh, where we can start cleaving the crust, the left side of the crust, and that's essential When if you, if you cleave both sides of the crust, so the left and the right side, you perform a wonderful celiacal release but you also, also introduce gastro uh, uh, reflux uh, disease um, and that's the reason in the older literature that we also, our group said uh, MALS, maybe it exists but the, the, the release does not work because all the patients get symptoms back, that's not true. They get other symptoms back, mimicking MALS. That means reflux disease. Um, so that's the reason we yeah. only perform a left-sided release of the sili artery, which is enough. And again, that is published by by, uh, by André van Petersen. And with this re- approach, we again we reach a 90% durable clinical success.
0: Thank you for the for describing this, this surgery. Um, I, I know from experience because I, I have seen this uh, this operation a few times that it's quite challenging. Um, how long did it take you to, to, to know this technique?
2: The learning curve is, is not very short uh, and when we started this technique in 2004, the first clinical one, uh, I performed the operation and my colleague was owned uh, his only task was to say stop to me if we did not have the, uh, the good. Approach mm-hmm. um, because the oesophagus is also in this area. Uh, there are a few side branches of the aorta which are not very wise to, 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 to damage, um, so you can do a lot of things wrong. Mm-hmm. And a- when you start it, everything uh, looks on each other, like the oesophagus uh, and the left cus mm-hmm. have more or same the same muscle structure. Um, so the first operation takes six hours. And uh, nowadays, we are always ready in 60 minutes to 90 minutes. Now, after the corona, it's allowed to that other physicians visiting our hospital, because so everybody who wanted to see such an operation is welcome to, uh, to our hospital.
0: Oh, that's nice. Um, and how, what are the complications of this kind of surgery?
2: Complications are f- very, very low. We have an experience of, I think, nearly about 300 endoscopic cellular releases now. Mm-hmm. And we have two uh, severe complications. Uh, one uh, bleeding of the renal artery, which is resolved by an uh, open approach. Mm-hmm. And uh, one times we missed, uh, the, we, we also resolved the bleeding of the left renal, but we did. We were not aware of the fact that it was the left renal. Ah. So we, we clipped the, uh, this small artery. We think it's small, but young men, young women with uh, small artery can, co- can be constricted. We thought it was a suprenal artery, it was the renal artery. At that moment, we performed angiography in still every patient. We, we uh, in the multidisciplinary meeting, we discussed this angiography. We said, wonderful release. It was completely free. And everybody missed that mm. we missed the left renal. Six months later, the, the referral hospital asked us, Is there something going wrong with the, with the left kidney? And we go back to the original angiography. Oh, good. We damaged the left renal artery. We clipped the left renal artery. Th- that's in our learning curve and thereafter we don't have any uh, big complication no. anymore.
0: And you, you just said that you would make a DSA after every surgery before and how do you, do you check now with the duplex ultrasound after the, after the release?
2: The angiography time was uh, during the development of this, this approach. Mm-hmm. It was really, that was the cold standard. Uh, we stopped uh, that I think in to nine to Mm ten and nowadays we perform the soluca release uh, on day one to day four after the operation, patient going home. I see uh, uh, the patient uh, three months later at the outpatient uh, department with a duplex ultrasound. And if the patient is free of symptoms and the duplex is normal, the recurrence of MALS is zero. Okay. It does not mean that the patient can't get any symptoms anymore, but it is not related to
0: MALS. How quick? Do the symptoms r- resolve after the surgery? In
2: many patients, the day after the operation, they said, ah, I can have a normal breakfast. Uh, but especially with really chronic severe symptoms, um, may, it may take a few weeks, maybe a few months, that it get enough confidence that everything is working properly. Mm-hmm. So I will say the first three months, it doesn't work. Thereafter, we can f- have f- definite conclusions. And what is is an important remark, and for, for this question, is that uh, Skelly reported a, a wonderful study in 2018 in the Journal of Vascular Surgery that twenty percent of the patients uh, where MALS release does not work has psychiatric uh, disorders, mm-hmm. and that's always what also what, what, what the the the, um, the guys who said the colleagues who said that MALS does not exist, said that it's psychiatric. Mm-hmm. It's not a an, an physical thing, um, and I agree. Sometimes I met, I have a patient outpatient clinic. And I think no, I'm not a vascular surgeon. I'm a psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, so there, they and, 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 and floor will uh, discuss the corosis study and one of the uh, secondary outcome parameters of the corosis study. Is psychotic disorder.
0: So uh, Bob you, re- you you gave us an excellent um, uh, summary of the operation you perform, which is a retro peritoneum endoscopic release. Uh, in some institutions they perform a laparoscopic release and I also read some articles about an um, robotic assistant really uh, assisted release. and uh, how, how about the results about for these kinds of surgeries? Well there are some small studies describing
1: results of robotic mal-release but these are still too small uh, to draw final conclusions on that. Um, Right now the results are not better than laparoscopic results but this of course may
0: change in future uh, because of the learning curves of the surgeons. And if you think about laparoscopic versus retroperitoneal endoscopic results, can you say something about that?
2: A laparoscopic approach is done by laparoscopic surgeons, Mm -hmm. most often not vascular surgeons, and they uh, perform a lot of laparoscopic operations and a few celiac artery releases per year. It's not logic to approach celiac artery from ventral because the uh, compression, uh, you first see the uh, distal part of the celiac artery and the compression is on the upper side of the artery. Mm -hmm. So it's logical to have a reticulatory approach Then you see the compression itself. You see the ligament argument. That's the first argument for the approach we developed. The second argument is that if you perform a release on both sides, as we discussed, yeah. you have a higher chance of the reflux disease. And we experienced just a few of these
0: patients. If a patient does p- develop the reflux disease, do they need additional surgery or is a PPI enough mm-hmm. to treat that?
2: If... It's really severe uh, and it is PPR resistant. Uh, we've performed an, an, an anti-reflux operation but that was only the case in the beginning of yeah. our uh, center. Nowadays, with a left-sided approach. We never experienced reflux disease anymore. Okay. And I want to add one important thing to this, that in my opinion, open approach to cervical artery by a laparotomy uh, for MALS is obsolete. Yeah. It's something done by dinosaurs. Not nowadays. You won't advise that if it's your own daughter. A referral of these patients is the only way if your own center has not a laparoscopic or endoscopic approach. They can't offer a laparoscopic or endoscopic approach.
0: And how many of these surgeries do you perform on a yearly basis?
2: Between the 15 and 20 per year.
0: Is this type of care centralized?
2: It's not officially centralized. Mm -hmm. So there's there's still a few centers in the Netherlands who perform one or two open approaches per year. Again, Mm -hmm. that's, in my opinion, really, you can't defend that anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a few centers who uh, ask their laparoscopic surgeon to perform a laparoscopic anterior approach of the cervical artery and try to do a left-sided release. Mm -hmm. That's really a challenge. But in most centers in the Netherlands, especially all the centers uh, working together in the Dutch Mystic Scheming Group, refer these patients to ENSCHEDE, and for example, also uh, Rotterdam, the, uh, the other expert center, also in malls in the Netherlands. Uh, if they uh, selected the patients for a MALS release, the release itself is done in in Enschede, because it it it's, it ne- you need some experience yeah. to to start yeah. and to to stop the operation.
0: Well, uh, what is the success rate of this uh, of this surgery?
1: Well, in our systematic review, the majority of the studies presented the symptom relief of. Over seventy percent, uh, and in our center we uh, have a symptom relief of eighty to ninety percent after silic
0: artery release. And how can we make this one hundred percent?
1: Well, hopefully by the diagnostic process, the multidisciplinary approach to diagnose this disease, uh, and to have a clear patient group for this treatment.
2: At Flora, you know that if you're talking about the disease, which has influence on the quality of life—not mm-hmm. mortality, yes or no—but quality of life—you will never reach hundred percent. No, but if you can reach reach nationwide safety eighty percent, we are very, very satisfied, and that's also one of the outcome parameters of the study we'll discuss.
0: Yeah. Okay. And we're going to discuss that now because we we, uh, discussed extensively the median arcuate ligament syndrome. We talked about how to diagnose. We talked about how to treat uh, the median arcuate ligament syndrome. Um, But why, why is the study so important, the corrosal trial? What is this going to add to the literature? Well, at this moment, there is no scientific proof
1: or expert consensus about existence and efficacy of this disease of the median arcuate ligament syndrome. And therefore we designed the sulic artery release or sham operation study. And this study uh, is going to prove the efficacy of treatment for the sulic artery release for chronic mesenteric ischemia symptoms caused by the median arcuate ligament syndrome. Mm. And if this pri- trial proves this treatment is effective, the discussion may be finally settled. The treatment can be performed in many patients from over the world, and if this study proves that treatment is not effective, we will stop uh, doing
0: a useless operation on patients with chronic abdominal pain. So this is actually going to be a very important trial, which will resolve a very important issue in the literature, whether it, it exists it or not.
2: The, the, the design of the study uh, will, z- will finalize the discussion and the con- in the expert meetings uh, where also such kind of, of trial design is discussed, uh, the, the conclusion is this will be the landmark trial yeah. of the mal syndrome.
0: And Floor, can you tell us a little bit more about the design of the corrosive study? Yes, the design
1: of the corrosive study uh, is as a blinded, randomized, controlled trial to decide whether the endoscopic celiac artery release uh, is effective for symptoms of the mal syndrome. And for the study, these results will be compared to the results of a SHAM operation, that means that 70 patients with the median arcuate ligament syndrome will be investigated and half of these patients will have the celiac artery release operation and the other half will have a sham operation. These are all patients with a multidisciplinary consensus diagnosis and the patients will be stratified on a pre-operative abdominal pain. So the patients with a VAS score above 50 will be stratified. Uh, the patients will be stratified on... Gender and on psychiatric comorbidities. Uh, And the follow-up is two years. How how can physicians refer patients for this trial? Well, the goal is to perform this study as fast as possible so that we can finally have the results and everyone will have the knowledge that we'll need in this subject right now. Uh, So all patients from the Netherlands can be referred for this trial and all patients with uh, diagnosis MOLS uh, can be referred to the Medispectrum Center.
2: So a phone call to our center, but also we have an uh, mail address caroza at
0: Great. I will put yes. the email address in the show notes. And how you talked about the SHAM operation. What, what are you going to do in the SHAM operation? Uh,
1: in the SHAM operation, the patients will have the same four incisions up to the fascia. Um, so that's similar to the real operation. Uh, And the patients will have 60 to 75 minutes of general anesthesia uh, in accordance with the average operating time of the celiac artery release. And to ensure that uh, all operations are of the same quality, these operations will only be performed by two very experienced ECAR surgeons
0: in our hospital. So all patients will undergo the retroperitoneal endoscopic celiac artery release or a sham operation? Yes. Okay. And what are the primary and secondary endpoints of the study? Uh,
1: the primary endpoints are patient-perceived abdominal pain uh, and we will measure that on a visual analog scale and patient-perceived improvement after surgery and we will measure that on a patient global impression of severity scale. Uh, And these uh, will be measured six months after the operation. Uh, The secondary outcomes are uh, measured up to two years. So the patients will also be blinded up to two years. Uh, And these are, of course, also the patients experience abdominal pain uh, and uh, patient perceived improvement after two years. But uh, we will also measure patency on a CT scan. We will measure quality of life, symptoms of fear, and uh, depression. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we will also make an analysis on uh, societal costs um, and cost effectiveness of these patients.
2: The outcome parameters are from patient perspective, Mm -hmm. but also of societal perspectives. And with societal perspective, we performed a business impact analysis. And that means if it works, it will save the Dutch society Nearby 5 million euros per year.
0: What are the inclusion and the exclusion criteria? Well, the most
1: important is, of course, these patients should have the median arcuate ligament syndrome and we must be very sure about that. Uh, and that's why we defined very strict inclusion criteria for this study because the problem with all the other studies is that the patient's group Uh, is very unclear. So we definitely want to be sure about these patients in our study so that we can draw final conclusions on that. That means that we will have patients included with a multidisciplinary consensus diagnosis uh, established in both Dutch expert centers for mesenteric ischemia, so Rotterdam and and Mm Enschede. This diagnosis should be based on at least postprandial abdominal pain Uh, And it should be combined with at least two of the following uh, symptoms. Diet adjustments, unexplained weight loss, unexplained diarrhea. These symptoms should be combined with eccentric stenosis of the median arcuate ligament of at least 70%, which should be proven on MRI or CT and one other imaging technique. And secondly, there should not be another explanation for the abdominal pain. So the patient should also have uh, an upper GI endoscopy and of course the CT or MRI scan should be, or the ECHO should be screened for another explanation for abdominal pain and the patient should at least be 18 years old. The exclusion criteria are pregnancy, pathology on other mesenteric arteries and previously performed surgery on uh, one of the mesenteric arteries.
2: A floor so summarizing the design of the study, we discussed extensively the study design and especially the, the inclusion criteria mm-hmm. with respect of colleagues who does not believe in MALS and we ask them the question, could you formulate inclusion exclusion criteria and the difference between the two groups which convince you that MALS exist? So it's um, the, the in exclusion criteria are very, as you can say this in this area, uh, relatively clear and if it works in this group, also the colleagues who think it does not exist are convinced that miles exists. And, uh, and if it exists, the outcome is positive, maybe the criteria could, could be broad and could be violent. Yeah. That's important. The design is that it's not, again, a study, but this will give the, the arguments for the pros or the cons that it really exists or it really does not exist.
0: And every patient... Uh, who is thought to have median arcuate ligament syndrome will be enrolled in this trial, right? There's no, you, you won't be performing any surgeries in the upcoming time with, with people who are not included in this, in this study. Is that true?
2: Yeah, that, that's so. There's a gentleman agreement supported by the, uh, the board of vascular surgeons and also by the board of gastroenterologists and radiologists in the Netherlands that patients expected from MALS are not operated outside the study this study during the study period.
0: And you will enroll 70 patients? Yeah, that's correct. And how long do you think that this study will take to enroll these patients?
1: We think that patient enrollment will take around one or two years and then the follow-up will take
0: two more years. So we expect the results in uh, 2027. And if the study proves that surgery is an effective treatment for Median arcuate Ligament Syndrome, what will be the implications for the Dutch population? Well, the discussion will be finally
1: settled and experts will agree agree that median arcuate ligament release is effective treatment for these patients, so that's very important. All physicians will have an agreement on this and will start performing the treatment or referring patients for this treatment. And the second very important part is that once we have scientific proof for the existence of this syndrome and especially the effectivity Of this treatment, it will become part of the healthcare insurance in the Netherlands and it will be available for all patients with median acute ligament syndrome in the Netherlands.
0: Floor, thank you so much for your detailed explanation of this trial. If anyone wants to read more about the corrosal trial, a research letter was recently published in the European Journal of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery. I will put a link in the show notes and I will also put the email address on which... Any questions about this trial can be can be put, in, and Floor will answer them in the email. Um, is there anything you want to add on the subject of median arcuate ligament syndrome?
1: Yeah, I think for us to finally answer this question, which is very important for all physicians around the world ha- having patients with this disease, it is really really important that everyone in the Netherlands refer their patients to uh, participate in this study, so that we can finally and as soon as possible... give them the answers for uh, well whether this treatment is effective.
0: So in summary, we extensively talked about median arcuate ligament syndrome... which is a one-vessel form of chronic mesenteric ischemia... in which patient history is of uttermost importance. And we use duplex ultrasound and also an MRA or a CTA in, in an expiration to make a diagnosis and the treatment is not with a PTA in a stent but with a surgery to perform a one-sided release and that can be done laparoscopically or via an endoscopic retroperitoneal approach but not an open surgery. What are the take-home messages for people from this podcast?
2: First why not a PTA because there is no stent available on the market who can resist Sixteen times per minute the compression by the medical equipment. That means it will be damaged. It will be fractured, and at the end, the artery will be thrombosed. So, putting a stent in the dynamic compression of the artery is a mistake. That's first. The second uh, take home message is that malls, the existence of malls. Is still debatable since the publication of uh, Silacci, and we really don't know if it exists. I, uh, I, I am convinced it exists. Uh, there is no on certificate ground, not any reason that the release of slica artery in case of mal symptoms is more than a placebo effect. The slica artery release or sham operation theory will give the answer, will provide it level one evidence four years from now. It will be it will end in 50 years, ongoing debate.
0: Well, I think uh, I and all of our listeners are very excited for the results of this trial, which will be expected in 2026. Um, Thank you so much, Floor and Bob, for joining us here today. It it has been a real pleasure talking to you and learning from your experience. I look forward to having you both back for another interview after the results of the Corroso trial come back. We will be back soon with more ESVS podcasts, Remember, you can listen to them open access in SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcast, the Vascular Forum webpage and the ESVS library Please follow our LinkedIn page and sus- subscribe to the ESVS podcast so you don't miss any episodes. Have a nice day. Talk to you soon. Bye for now.